have a conversation with your girlfriend that was so good you wish it had been recorded? Think those conversations would be great to be able to share? Wondering if there's support or research for the recommendations your smart girlfriends give about mental, spiritual, and physical health? This podcast was born to answer those kinds of questions. Hello, I'm Sherry Coleman-Collins, registered dietitian nutritionist, and here with me in the studio is my girlfriend, Dee Wilson. We are excited to have you joining us for this edition of the Southern Fried Girlfriends podcast. Dee, how are you today? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Enjoying another lovely day in paradise. The weather's perfect. It's like 8,000 degrees, and I think the humidity is maybe <laughs> 99. <laughs> it's pretty typical Georgia in summer. <laughs> it is. I think that um, I'm as as much as I love summer, and you've heard me talk about summer. I'm getting a little bit weary of the of the humidity. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm kind of ready for things to chill for just a little bit. Man, I spent a week in Colorado recently, yeah. and the difference in the humidity level is amazing. Mm-hmm. Like the temperature was very similar to here in Georgia, yeah. but it felt awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did enjoy coming back to Georgia because the humidity is good for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll give you that. I don't. I don't need anything dry on my skin. I need the moisture yes. at my age. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I am so excited to have a guest with us today to talk about a topic that I've been increasingly interested in and thinking about, and that's local and community agriculture. And as many of our listeners who follow me on Instagram know, I have a garden and fruit trees and chickens, and I. I love to visit the farmer's market. So growing my own food has given me a new appreciation for farmers, and I'm so grateful that they're out there providing for us because I am not nearly good enough to do that for myself. (laughs) I would starve if I had to grow all of my own food. So thankfully, we have all those farmers out there to to give thanks to. And today, we have our girlfriend, Jess Collette, with us to talk about community and locally grown agriculture. So welcome, Jess. Thank you, Sherry. It's really lovely to be here today. (laughs) Thanks. And so here is a little bit about Jess, a little bit about her background, and you may have picked up from that little welcome (laughs) a a tad bit of an accent. (laughs) So Jess is South African by birth, and she's embraced Southern living for almost 14 years, so that is almost long enough to be a local. She grew up going to farmer's markets and getting groceries at small chain grocery stores where potatoes and carrots still had a little dirt on them. And she has fond memories of her papa, her paternal grandfather, growing hot chilies, vegetables, and lychees. And um, she studied dietetics in South, South Africa to better understand the blended environment of food insecurity, chronic diseases linked to emerging Western food concepts, and the diet industry. So that is a handful, of, a mouthful, and we'll hear more <laughs> about that, I know. But eventually, she made her way here to the U.S. and um, did some research on access to fresh fruits and vegetables that I want her to share with us. And now she works in um, a variety of areas and has worked in community and public health nutrition and um, is a board member for Truly Living Well, a nonprofit urban ag organization empowering communities to grow food and or purchase directly from farmers. So I love that initiative. And so welcome again. We're glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you to the both of you. So I gave a lot of information based on the bio that you sent us, but I'd love for you to just sort of walk us through a little bit more deeply, maybe your background. Tell us about yourself. Well, growing up in South Africa, um, one of the things that we were very blessed with was that we would have a lot of food markets that we could go to. And, um, very small grocery stores. I mean, I remember going to my grocery store barefoot and 
in bathing suits because we lived on the coast. And you could. You could find some fresh fruits and veggies that still had that little bit of dirt and earth on it. Um, and then, of course, my grandfather, he he had pecan trees. He had lychee trees. We would sit and eat these things for hours and grew his own little chilies and condiments to add to his French Creole cooking. And, you know, and at the time as a child, you don't realize really how significant that is. And um, when I got to the U.S., one of the things that really began to intrigue me was the idea that there were some communities that could not access fresh fruits and vegetables here in Atlanta. And I assumed that being in a big city, you had everything you needed um, mm -hmm. and, you know, that things were accessible. And um, so when I realized that that wasn't the case, that's when I went on to explore that a little bit more um, closely. And that has continued to drive my interest in community and public health nutrition is there are disparities mm -hmm. in food access and it's trying to bridge those disparities and in doing so I think you're going to achieve overall community health and wellness mm -hmm. um, we are really at a precipice of a lot of movement and shifts in the food environment now the important thing is sustaining those mm -hmm. and so that's why I'm here hoping to just have that discussion so that people can get increasingly aware and more aware and more aware and find their channels to support mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So tell me about your research. I I was looking at fruit and vegetable access in two um, communities in Atlanta. One community was considered lower income, the other more middle to upper income. Um, and using the Thrifty Food Plan, I came up with... Which is from the USDA. Yes, mm -hmm. it's and it gives an outline of the amount of fruits and vegetables a household of four would need for a week. And so I used that model to look at, well, if there are stores in neighborhoods or grocery stores in neighborhoods, is that available? Mm -hmm. And also try to examine like, you know, how many stores were available and how accessible they were to communities. And one of the things that I established is that in the more middle to upper income communities, there were more grocery stores available, mm -hmm. albeit that there was some distance to travel to mm -hmm. them. But those communities had vehicles to right. do that. Right. And transportation you, was not a barrier for them. Absolutely. And right. in in terms of now buying your fruits and vegetables from larger grocery stores, it's more cost effective. And so a thrifty food plan of fruits and vegetables was actually a little more expensive in the middle to upper income community versus the lower income community oh, where moms and pop stores or convenience stores were selling selling like a can of fruits or vegetables for two dollars or a wow. bunch of bananas or a banana for a dollar right. um, because it's just not One available for a dollar unbelievable yeah, wow. a lot of you know, and that's what ends up costing. I just bought like four pounds of bananas yeah. for two dollars. I know, yesterday. you know, because they don't. They they're not. These moms and pop stores are trying to make a living as right. well. Right. They they're building have in a, the margin. It's the economy of scale. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, they there are several of them 
they don't have that buying and purchasing power that major supermarkets and grocery stores have. And so what they're acquiring is coming at a higher cost to them too, and they're trying to make a living. Right. And fruits and vegetables are not really where it's at. It's going to be largely cigarettes or mm -hmm. alcohol. And in even one of the convenience stores that I went to, to be honest, I'm sure it was a front for other activities, mm -hmm. maybe drug-related activities in that mm -hmm. community. I can only assume. Um, and, you know, and to this day, when I do go through those communities still, there's still that, that element, there's still not that accessibility. Mm -hmm. Um, and of course it takes time to address that. Mm -hmm. Um, and just from my own research, and this is going on 10 years ago, you know, the fact that we still have work to do yeah. means that there's a lot of opportunity for us to chime in on. Right. And so what you're really describing are food deserts, right? Yeah. 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 And can it, you define that a little bit for the listener who might not be familiar with that term? So a food desert is considered, um, if you are not able to access fresh, healthy food within a mile of where you live, then you are considered to be in a food desert. So, uh, you know, interestingly enough, in some suburbs right? <laughs> You're going to have to travel. I'm thinking of where That's you are true, here. Yeah. I mean, how far do you have to travel to get to your supermarkets mm -hmm. on average? For well, me, it's about five minutes okay. by car. The closest is yeah. about five minutes by car. I'm actually really lucky, and I actually we chose this neighborhood because okay. of its walkability, and I can walk to a natural grocery store in less than half a mile. Oh, that's perfect. It's very nice, yeah. and they have fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's a new store, though. It wasn't here when we bought our house. Right. So, And I think, you know, obviously that was potentially a market that they realized yes. they could tap into. So it's it's about a mile. You cannot access those fruits, fresh fruits and vegetables. Now, the term food desert has become less popular and almost less palatable hmm, these days because researchers have said when you look at those food deserts there is actually it's not a desert there's food there's, right yeah. there's the moms and pops but then there's all these fast food outlets oh, too that's a great point and so they 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 re-termed it for a while and began to call it a food swamp oh where you are mm. saturated. That doesn't sound very palatable no. either. <laughs> you know, I mean, of course not. And it's yeah. like you're swamped. The only options you have are these fast foods yeah. and cheap fast food. Right. And so the food is available. It's just, it's a quagmire because right. you're not going to get the nutritional benefit from those types of foods at all. Right. Wow. So... How did you, so how did you transition then from, in your research, you discovered this, you found that there was this issue in many communities and, and we're in, we're in Atlanta, but this is definitely something that you can see across the country. Mm -hmm. So how did you transition then to, um, becoming an advocate for local food and for a community supported agriculture, farmer's market, any of that? Tell us how you kind of started to do that. Well, while I was doing my thesis research, um, I connected with someone who was um, doing his MBA. Um, his name was Jonathan Tesha, and you know, and this is a throwback because it is. It's going on about ten years ago. He stumbled upon the fact that I was doing this research, and um, at that time, interviewed me for Georgia State's radio about food deserts and food access and so forth. And at that time, he was managing the East Atlanta Village Farmers Market, mm -hmm. and um, 
you know, at, I didn't have children at that time. I was pretty carefree. <laughs> you know, I could do whatever I needed to do. So we started to do some cooking demos at the farmer's market. And we did cooking demos for about a couple of years. And then, of course, by then, farmer's markets were getting increasingly popular. So now it was time to call on those very popular chefs where, <laughs> where I don't quite have that street cred. But I'm glad that it has brought in that that channel as well. Um, and so th- really it was through him making that connection with the farmer's market, seeing the fact that people are supporting the markets, um, and then trying to demonstrate to them, right, this is the ingredient of the day that you can purchase here, mm-hmm. or ingredients, mm-hmm. and this is how you can put it together in something quick and you know accessible for your family. Um, and really through that, it, it was just connection after connection after connection, and got more familiar with folks at Georgia Organics. You know, at that time I started to work at Open Hand. Mm-hmm. Um, we then developed a program that was providing more fresh fruits and vegetables to our senior clients who could not really, you know, more homebound, had some health issues. Mm-hmm. Most people who listen may not be familiar with Open Hand. Can you tell a little bit about what it is? Open Hand is a nonprofit organization that provides home delivered meals to largely the senior market. Mm-hmm. It started off as actually a community coming together to feed a lot of HIV positive individuals. Mm-hmm. At the time that that was on the up and up, the community came together, began to prepare home delivered meals for very bedridden mm-hmm. and, you know, obviously severely strained HIV positive individuals. Um, and it, it, it grew from that and became a home delivery meal for seniors as well. Um, Older Americans Act, obviously mm-hmm. there's funding for home delivered meals. There's also funding from Older Americans Act for congregate meals. Mm-hmm. So Open Hand started to provide um, lunches to senior centers. I didn't and, know they were doing that. That's yeah. Great. And so, you know, with, oh, I was about to ask, what's a congregate meal? So where everybody right. comes together. When yeah. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I guess there's some research that shows that for, for the senior population, there is, there tends to be a bit of isolation, right. you know, obviously there's, there's losses that they have to endure. So coming to a senior center congregates them and then sharing a meal, it's just more positive for them, Absolutely. their mental well-being. But also physical because, you know, these meals were nutritionally balanced according to regulations and we would provide those meals and then we'd provide education to them every month, just Mm -hmm. fun nutrition classes, interactive classes. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the programs that I had helped develop and implement was that fruit and vegetable basket for seniors. And it's kind of grown a little bit from there. I mean, I haven't been at Open Hand for a few years now, but, you know, they've definitely tried to channel more local food into those baskets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been very encouraging to see that momentum moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Very good. So when you think about um, the impact that supporting local ag can have um, on a community can you talk a little bit about that and maybe the part that CSAs and farmers markets play, how people can identify their local market or, or how they can support? 
Yeah, I think I, one of the things I've definitely observed at, at some farmers markets is you'll have people that will come who are regulars and are certainly supporting and purchasing their items for the week. And then you'll have some folks that are still feeling things out and maybe have just grabbed that coffee and croissant and just exploring options. Yeah, that's and, me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think like get I, some jam or jelly and <laughs> And I think I think there's still this like, okay, how do I bridge this gap between who I am and these people that are growing and selling their food? And really it's there's not much of a gap to bridge. You've just mm-hmm. got to buy it and and talk to them. Right. And the value that that has to a community is first and foremost, you are having a direct relationship with the person that's growing your food. Um, and you get a better sense of what farmers are having to endure to do that because I think we – we've lost a, a little bit of sight on how difficult it is mm-hmm. to produce good food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a very industrialized farming system now. And I think, you know, it works, but we want to also bring that more locally too because our local farmers are doing us a service by producing food right here in our communities. It doesn't have to travel too far. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is a huge benefit. And in terms of now encouraging more farmers to grow more food locally and in an urban setting, those disparate communities are having more options now where they can access that fresh food. Mm -hmm. Um, The West End has a a really great farmer's market. It's still pretty new. It's up and running. But that is definitely one of those communities that you just don't have that accessibility. So it's now filling that gap. It's Mm -hmm. bringing the community together. Mm -hmm. The community can now connect with each other we're not isolated anymore Mm -hmm. and you have that food directly given to you provided to you you have more of an appreciation of where that food comes from and I think that overall is just going to like boost well-being for a community it's going to boost an individual's well-being to know that they're connected to a community Mm -hmm. and that much more connected to food as well I do find in my community where we have a market we have a thriving market that's been I think our market's at least 15 years old maybe older than that Mm -hmm. and um, very active and it I think it's it's as much of a social event as it is an opportunity yeah. to shop for food. Yeah. I think people come and they spend a lot of time. And our market is on um, our town square where there are lots of restaurants and there are coffee shops. And definitely there are the people who come in. And, and I'm one of those people who gets my chocolate croissant and my coffee. And that's how I shop. Yeah. I shop with my That's thing. how I go to Starbucks right there outside yeah. the square. Yeah. I get yeah. my coffee. I get my croissant. And yes. then I walk around. I find a jam or jelly I want. Yes. And that's pretty much it. Yes. And no offense to Starbucks croissants, but there's a woman on the square who makes chocolate croissants that are going to be so much better than what you can really? buy there. Oh my okay. goodness. Maybe they I'm are away. so amazing. And, but you have to go early because they sell out. Okay. There you go. That's well, maybe good. that's it because yeah. you know I'm always late. So. <laughs> okay. Just let me know. I've I'll never seen her. <laughs> so I guess, so one of the things that I think um, I wonder about and that I think is um, maybe... I don't know if it's perception or if it's reality. So help me see this is that I know that. So I did a little bit of research and just looked up a few things and found that there are 8,600 farmers markets across the country that are registered with USDA, mm-hmm. which is really cool. That's a lot. But if we think about the fact that there are 325 million people in the country, that's not a lot, you know, mm-hmm. it's not yeah. a lot of, but that doesn't count all the markets, right? That's just all the ones that have registered. So they're probably more than that. 
So all that said, I, I know that there's been an increase in interest and popularity with local food and farmers markets and those kinds of things. And sometimes I wonder, and especially even at our market, which I love, but I wonder is the, who is the market for, you know, mm. is it, I, I find that sometimes the prices are higher, which is not, I understand some of that is about economies of scale mm -hmm. and it costs a lot to grow food. It mm -hmm. really does. Um, but then, then some of it is also, you know, they're selling a lot of products that I think people, many people would not be interested in, wouldn't know how to use and also couldn't afford. So can you Which speak kind of to that? Leads to my question that I had yeah. about the residents yeah. of the West End: Are they frequenting the market? Are they finding the products affordable and knowing how to use them? Yeah, I mean, th those are very valid questions and concerns. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure how well the West End market is doing at the moment. I do know for truly living well, we've been up and running for many years now, um, and. One of the ways that I think families find more value-added services from local farmers markets is through CSAs, uh -huh. Community Supported Ag, where you so are that. you're paying an upfront cost for a season of fresh fruits or vegetables. Um, and that is pretty much what the farmers are going to utilize to establish their production and establish the season. And you, at that point, you no longer are paying for anything. You're just going to the market as and when you can. And there's a certain number of times that you can go and get your fresh fruits and vegetables. So in terms of economically speaking, sometimes CSAs are a little bit more economical. Mm -hmm. Now, what some... What some farmers are having to do to grow the food, yes, it's definitely, it's an arduous experience and they need to make a living too. And I do appreciate that sometimes when you're looking at the food at farmer's market, it is, it's, it's expensive mm -hmm. and it's not going to necessarily be accessible to everybody, but some markets are certainly trying to tailor the food for other communities that are more disparate. I think... Um, the way some people position this is we are spending so much money on medications mm -hmm. and, you know, on health care. And, you know, we're 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 willing to do that. Or maybe we're spending money on random things that aren't as necessary. Like, you know, and and of course, we're all at fault of this. Right. Sure. We're just going to buy yeah, something. My dummy bear budget is probably. Where <laughs> <a bit too laughs> right? I mean, you know, there's just things that. May not be necessities sure. that we tap into. We are a consumers, you know, consumer citizens after all. Yeah. But I think it's trying to sometimes reframe like, look, it's costing this amount of money, but I may not be doing this every week, at least though I am trying to support them. And, you know, the if I'm buying this wonderful fresh produce, um, I'm investing into the fact that I'm going to try and keep myself healthy mm -hmm. so that I can avoid those inherent costs that may come with not keeping healthy. So mm -hmm. there are some arguments around that where it's just what are you willing to put your money into? Yeah. Is it going to be stuff and things and medications and healthcare, or is it going to be that very thing that can help us prevent medical conditions? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's where I think some, when you look at Kaiser Permanente, mm -hmm. they've done a wonderful job with Wholesome Wave. Tell me about that. Okay. Now, Wholesome Wave, it's nationwide. And um, if you just look up Wholesome Wave, you will be able to look at certain farmers markets that are in your areas, in your states. 
Um, and what this program has done, it's funded largely by Kaiser Permanente because they are very vested in prevention prevention. You know, at the end of the day, health insurance companies need to do this. They I mean, do. if they're wanting to keep their profit margins where mm -hmm. they need to be, they've got to be creative. Mm -hmm. And so what they've done is they've funded Wholesome Wave. It's an initiative where if you are a SNAP recipient, so mm -hmm. the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, otherwise known as food stamps, if you are one of those participants, you can go to a Wholesome Wave designated market and for every dollar that you're spending on your EBT card, they will give you another dollar to spend. So you double your oh, dollars. Wow. And that is one organization that's really tried to say, look, we've got to support our farmers. Mm -hmm. They've got to make a living. Yeah, we understand that some disparate communities are just not going to be able to afford some of those things. So how do we do to incentivize that accessibility and keep farmers keep farmers going mm -hmm. because and you know keep our citizens healthy right, right. Yeah. and so that's been a wonderful initiative that has been very effective and in Georgia right now what they are exploring are prescription programs there's mm -hmm. been a very you know successful prescription program I think it was through Morehouse mm -hmm. and now Grady prescribing fruits and vegetables prescribing mm -hmm. fresh fruits yes. and vegetables yes. so you know instead of well, okay, we've got a long list of medications. It may be, well, let's look at the necessary medications mm -hmm. and then let's prescribe some fresh fruits and vegetables for you for the week. Mm -hmm. Is that for any specific health concerns like diabetes, high blood pressure? What? Absolutely. All those nutrition-related chronic disease states, high blood pressure, diabetes, cardiovascular disease states, you know, it's, it's largely going to be geared towards that. Mm -hmm. And so I think Wholesome Wave have really been an incredible initiative and they do they rely on a lot of funding don't get me wrong a lot of these nonprofits that are trying to support local ag um, and local food they do rely on a lot of funding but it's in the hopes that if we can reposition how we utilize our resources and how we access fresh fruits and vegetables that may just change our state of mind in terms of what food really is mm -hmm. and, a, and a better connection with food. Mm -hmm. I think that reframing is what's going to be most important because if you think about um, the percentage of income that people who live in Europe spend on their food, right. it's much greater than what we spend in the United States. And in the States, we have this idea, you know, because I can get a hamburger for a dollar, I should be able to walk into the grocery store and for a dollar get, you know, tomatoes, lettuce, whatever. Um, but I think that reframing is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things, too, that people, when they make that comparison, I think, D, that's a great observation. And I think mm. it is absolutely part of why people are confused about the cost of food. When we think about what it costs to buy the ingredients to make a meal like that, it's about... Um, again, sort of, I hate to overuse this word, but economies of scale, mm -hmm. right? You can buy all of the things to make that, but you can make a whole lot more of them when you make it at home. And then mm -hmm. the per item cost maybe is close to the same, Right. but, but you're, but you have to make that upfront investment. I think mm -hmm. the, the other thing about farmer's market or local ag that I think is a really important thing to consider is the impact on the economy, mm -hmm. right? So we are in Georgia and mm -hmm. agriculture is the number one um, uh, econ econ right word. <laughs> the, it's the number one uh, industry mm -hmm. for Georgia, mm -hmm. you know. So I think agriculture is essential everywhere, but certainly in our state, it's it's such an important part. And so if we can help 
keep some of that money here locally by supporting our local growers and farmers, then I think that is it benefits us directly mm-hmm. as well. You know, we th- we may not think about, okay, I'm spending a lot more to buy these eggs at the farmer's market than at the grocery store, but I'm keeping that money here in my community because that person is going to then spend that money um, here in our community as well and hire people. And, you know, so I think there's some, there. that's a really important benefit too. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I mean, I don't know the details, but um, for anyone who's curious here in the state of Georgia specifically, Georgia Organics did do some research about that, and I think they came up with a really great number. A very, I, I can't remember what it was, but they did look at supporting local economies and what that means and what our investment would mean. And I, for some reason, ten dollars rings a bell, but I felt like it was if you if you spent ten dollars on a local farmers market, it was going to have X effect mm-hmm. on our economy. So I really encourage folks if you want to take a look at that to just look up Georgia Organics. And it's also a great resource for seeing where your local farmers mm-hmm. markets are. Um, but it is, it's as you said, that upfront investment mm-hmm. and the reframing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to just take, that's still taking some time. Mm-hmm. But I encourage consumers to just think along the lines of, take a look at what your food budget is. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a food budget, mm-hmm. create a food budget. I think, you know, we all need to be budgeting a little bit better as well. And you, you know, speak a D's language, by the way. I love it. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I look at my budget every month, and I'm like, oh, it needs to be a little heftier than this. But, <laughs> but um, you know, explore what your household is eating, mm-hmm. um, what keeps your household ticking in terms of food choices, what your food budget is, and then maybe just say, look, we're going to designate this amount for our local farmers markets. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be that you've got to go there and like buy everything in sight and oh man you're doing you know you're doing the community good but you're bankrupting yourself in the process (laughs) you know your commitment is that this is what I'm going to commit to each week or this is what I'm going to commit to each month to my local farmers market and I think by just if you want to call it portioning it out Mm -hmm. that way it may make it more feasible for your household Mm -hmm. to participate Mm -hmm. so I'm telling you even if you go to a farmers market and you have $20 on you you can buy some items that you as a family can just enjoy for that lunch or for that dinner and you've contributed Mm -hmm. and it hasn't blown your food budget you Mm -hmm. can still go do whatever you need to do at Costco or Kroger (laughs) or Publix but you have invested in that local farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And, and it's about that balance mm-hmm. and it's about what works for your household. Sure. And I think, it, you know, thinking about the financial piece of it, um, if we just consider what we spend on coffee, I mean, you know, we mentioned <laughs> earlier right. stopping to get our coffee on the way Sorry, to the market. Sorry, Starbucks. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, if you're spending $5 on coffee two right. days a week, that's $10. That's, that's what, uh, $40 a month that you're spending on coffee. If you spent that at the market instead, or you spent half of that at the market instead. And I think that that can have a really big impact. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, or even, um, just better planning. So yes. I was talking to Sherry this morning about, um, she had seen an exhibit at Fernbank mm-hmm. and, um, commented on the amount of food waste that we have over 1600 pounds for a family of four per year. Wow. And so what I noticed is that this summer I decided I'm only going to buy the food that I need in order for meal prep for the week. And thinking about the fact that I was spending maybe $300 a week on food, 
I've been spending like $45 just to get the things just that I need. And so if I think about if I'm budgeting 300 and I really only need 45, maybe I can increase the quality of the food that I'm buying to meet the greater budget and I'm Mm -hmm. not wasting food anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that that, I think just cutting food waste has a huge impact on Mm -hmm. what you buy and what you can buy. Right. Absolutely. Like, do I really, really mm-hmm. need 30 pounds of potatoes? <laughs> do I need it? You know what I mean? Like if, yeah. I, if I'm throwing out 15 pounds yeah. and I'm wasting about half the money that I'm spending on those, right. maybe I could just go to the store and buy or a farmer's market and buy two potatoes because that's really all I'm going to need for the week. Right. Yeah, I think you know that that's a. I love the that you mentioned Costco because I love Costco, but it's, my favorite. it's a challenge. Like shopping at Costco is one of those things where I I had to really I have to have had to learn what my family can and will eat mm-hmm. in the amount of time that it takes because I like to go there and buy produce. I can get twice as much produce there for one and a half times the amount of money that I would spend at the at the grocery. Right, mm-hmm. so I'm spending a little bit more, but I'm getting a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm produce. Mm -hmm. So, but we can't always finish it. And so I definitely found that there were items that I was buying that we were, I was throwing out Mm -hmm. that if so, so I had 50% more product, but I ended up throwing most of that out. Absolutely. So it wasn't worth it in the end. Yeah. I think planning is an important part of that, you know, considering how I can buy the best quality food that my budget will allow me to buy and then supporting the market. Yeah, I think, you know, I I do, you mentioned a little bit the SNAP program and farmers markets, and I think that has been one of the most exciting things that I've seen too. And I know that a lot of health departments are working on on that initiative too, right? Do you know anything about that? Well, I will tell you, I work with WIC Women, Infants, Children, Mm -hmm. and, you know, certainly one of the initiatives that's been really super during the summer season is um, providing vouchers Mm -hmm. for a little local farmers market at the actual clinic or facility where WIC is operating from. Um, So that's one great initiative. There are senior farmers market programs as well, uh, where at the senior center, there'll be a farmers market and they can go ahead and purchase their fresh fruits and vegetables. And if it's wholesome wave, they again will be able to double their dollars at that market. Mm -hmm. Um, And my understanding is I think Fulton County um, has a, a vehicle, a van, um, and I can't remember what the name of this initiative is, but I think they were driving around certain parts of communities and selling produce from that van at a very discounted rate. Okay, so in wow, my like mind, without the creepy ice cream music <laughs> that's playing, I love that music. It's like Pavlov's dog. Bell. That's I the problem. <laughs> but I would do that for kiwi. I would do that for apples. I mean, if you right, ring that bell for right. me now. Come on, an Asian pear. I'm there. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's very cool. That's so. How do you know how people can find out about that kind of um, those kinds of programs in their communities? Well, as I I, I had mentioned earlier, um, Georgia Organics. Mm-hmm. Now, if if you're looking nationwide, um, they. It, 
I think just doing a, a search around local food, mm-hmm. local food organizations. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of states, like for example, Pennsylvania has the Food Trust. There are a lot of states that have organizations that are very geared towards local food, local farmers markets, and also bridging the gaps for disparate communities. Mm-hmm. So you might just need to do just a simple search that way, but also start with Wholesome Wave because mm-hmm. Wholesome Wave, you can search yeah. by state. Mm-hmm. They're going to point out a lot of farmers markets that are Wholesome Wave, if you want to call it stamped. Um, and that will just be your conduit to be able to get to a farmer's market mm-hmm. and also learn from them where there may be other farmer's markets that are not wholesome mm-hmm. wave stamped. I think um, USDA has a resource too, and I'll and make sure too. I put that on my on the yeah. blog, on the show notes. Absolutely. The USDA has, uh, again, you can search by state, right. search for those farmer's markets that have been registered, and then just, just go. Yeah. That's all you need to do, go. So one one of the things I think so we live in Georgia we're really lucky because it's warm for a long mm-hmm. time we have a long growing season here but even though that's true there's still months where there there's no farmers market here like our farmers market closes at some point and it is not open and I can't go to the farmers market that's right. just not an option for me and I know that in other parts of the country maybe the farmers market is even shorter their season is even shorter right. so how can people connect with local agriculture or support farmers in their state or in their region, even when the farmer's market's not open? Um, Well, a lot of the local farms during those seasons, they're going to, you know, and I will say Georgia, we're pretty lucky because we, you know, we can grow certain greens and uh, cool items, Mm -hmm. uh, kales and spinaches Mm -hmm. and so forth. So they're, you know, it's not, yeah, you know, it's not (laughs) going to be as like varied as the summer. But, you know, just look out for some larger urban ag communities, um, like Truly Living Well, for example, we go season round. Um, But, you know, if you connect directly with your farmers, they may need help on their farms. I mean, you know, manpower is so important. I know for Truly Living Well, volunteerism and that sort of manpower is what really keeps us as an organization going. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's you know going into the fall and going into the winter, it's really just connecting with those local farmers and saying, what do you you know what help do you need? Is mm-hmm. there something I can do? Mm-hmm. Or when it gets towards the spring, how do you help them prepare for the spring? And in doing that, you're engaging with your farmer now at a very different level, mm-hmm. and you're going to gain an entirely different appreciation of that process of mm-hmm. growing food. Um, and you know, and that would be my one recommendation mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. is just to make that connection and see what you can do to help them through those seasons. Mm-hmm. I think you know there are a couple of things that come to my mind too. One is knowing what grows in your region, like right. know you know knowing what grows in your area is an important mm-hmm. part of also that sort of planning season by season. You know, there was a time in the world where that's how people had to eat. You know, right. there wasn't you couldn't get food from South America in the winter to fill in the gap when there weren't those foods available. And right. I'm not bashing that, but I think it's just a, it's just a different way of thinking. So yeah. thinking more seasonally about what's available. Yeah. yeah, but then how do you know? Because I yeah. ran into that like a couple of years ago. I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat with the season. <laughs> what is in season? Yeah. Because you go to the grocery store and everything is available all right. of the time. Right. And so I'm like Googling where yeah. are avocados in season. Well, <laughs> Basically, all the avocados are grown in Mexico, so they're always in season. Yeah. Right. Or California. Tomatoes, you know, so yeah. how do you know when yeah. something is in season in your area? Yeah, I think you have to you have to make an intentional effort to find out, just like you did. You have to Google it. You have to – USDA has some resources. Yeah, they And I think state do. by state, there are mm-hmm. some organizations, just the ones that Jess already mentioned, that may have some resources. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Georgia Organics is fabulous for, for that information mm-hmm. as well. 
Yeah. And then the, the other thing I would say is, um, is that while I think it's really important to support local agriculture and I, and I like that idea, I also think it's really important to recognize that farmers across the country Absolutely. work incredibly hard to make food for us. Yeah. So, you know, so even if the food is coming from California, even if it's coming from Florida, even if it's coming from New York, it's still supporting U.S. agriculture. And I think that's a really important piece because I think sometimes we can be dismissive of those farmers in, you know, the center part of our country who are working right. hard to grow the wheat that puts the bread on our tables, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to buy that artisan loaf at the farmer's market, but the reality is that wheat was grown in the middle of our country, and right. we don't want to dismiss those farmers who I think work incredibly hard to do, to fill in the gap for us, right? Absolutely. Right. Well, and also for diversity. Like, right. You don't want to say, okay, because my state only grows peaches, pecans, tomatoes, cucumbers, peanuts, Um, those are the things I'm only things that I'm going to eat right yeah right right well I think I mean it's it is about diversification you Mm -hmm. know the reality is you know we are used to a very diverse range of foods and that's not going to go away Um, and I think if anything connecting with local food and local farmers I think for consumers it begins to just give them a sense of yes what does it take to grow food and what is it going to mean in future, particularly as, you know, more droughts or mm-hmm. more this or more that to have to deal with in our environment? You know, it just makes us more aware of that picture. And it's going to make us more aware of how do we reduce food waste or how do we, you know, try and live a more green lifestyle. So that way we are hopefully contributing more positively to the overall environment. I think that's important for consumers. You know, it's very concerning when kids don't know what certain fruits and vegetables are right. or don't know, you know, it's like, where does milk come from? Oh, it comes from the carton. No, it comes from a cow, <laughs> you know, and this is where the cows are and this is what and they're chocolate eating. chocolate milk doesn't come from a brown cow. No, it doesn't, you know, so it's just that awareness of across the board, farmers, they do have an arduous task yeah, and it's yeah. not getting any easier yeah. with the, the challenges that we're facing in our climate right now. And I think that appreciation goes a long way. And I think allowing people the chance to just get more acquainted with food and the production of it, that hopefully can you know sustain what we have right now. Mm-hmm. We've got a good balance of local um, initiatives while we're having to continue and sustain what has been the norm for decades mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. So it's that balance and it's, it's, you know, I hope that can work in the long run. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that, you know, the, the, what you, what I hear you saying is really recognizing that we do have an incredibly efficient food system yeah. that has been wonderful for feeding the population. And that, and I don't think that we can dismiss that. I think that's that's so important. And our population as a globally is going to continue to grow Mm -hmm. and we have to be able to feed all of these people who are going to be born. And I think it's really important to recognize that we need innovation. We need efficiency in agriculture and we also need local, regional, Mm -hmm. state, initiatives that can help support the economies here and everywhere. And and we haven't even touched on food safety, which right. is a whole other issue, right? Biosecurity. There are other things that I think are important pieces here. We don't have time to dive into today, but they all contribute to, I think, some of the benefits of supporting local and regional agriculture. Yeah. And I will s- just one last thought, you know, interestingly enough, the new, in- this interest and in-, in local food and in local ag, for some countries that you would assume 
this is happening, it is actually like reigniting that subsistence farming, mm, that local mm-hmm. farming, that ability to keep your family and your household fed, because some of that has also got lost mm-hmm, along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I look at a continent like Africa and I'm thinking of, well, I just assumed that this has been ongoing. Yes, it has been ongoing in some regions, but again, there are certain challenges, whether it be civil wars or climate changes or who knows what, uh, you know, some outbreak. And I think, you know, the reignition of substance, subsistence farming, that in itself has largely been because we've got more interested in local farming. Mm. And that has now supported initiatives. And I'm just thinking of Janice and what she did, sure. you know, in Rwanda, going out there and encouraging the local women to be empowered as they should have always been right. to grow food for their families and become more savvy at selling that food. So, you know, globally speaking, we need that. And that's been a really wonderful outcome to see as well. Yeah. That makes me think of the Victory Gardens during World War II. Yeah. You know, here in the U.S., there was a huge initiative to have Victory Gardens, our own gardens in our backyards, to yeah. so that so that so much of the other food that was being grown could be diverted to the war effort and supporting right. our soldiers. And while we may not have that kind of situation here, there's nothing wrong with growing your own patch, you know? Yeah. And I wish that I could. You know, I'm from Louisiana. My grandmother always had cows and chickens and a farm and went to the grocery store for things that she couldn't grow or produce herself. Um, whereas me, like I love the taste of fresh grown tomatoes and I yeah. generally steal cherries, <laughs> but I have no idea how to do it myself. Oh, I can teach you. It's so easy. Yeah. We'll do, we'll do another show about gardening. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, so many great ideas and tips and suggestions. And this was a rich conversation, I think, about the importance and value of supporting local agriculture, community-supported agriculture, farmers markets. All of those initiatives have incredible value both for our health, um, mentally, uh, physically, and for our economies. So that's thank so you nice. so much for joining us, Jess. Thank I you, really Jess. appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to the both of you. This was really lovely to be here. And I really appreciate that you thought of us. And I'm just glad that this dialogue is going on and you all are making that happen. Thank you. you. So, uh, okay. Well, as we wrap up, we have one question that we always ask the last question for our show. What are you going to do to be healthier today, Dee? So I have been traveling and one thing that I do when I do car travel is, you know, I used to be a smoker and I get bored in the car. So I eat sunflower seeds. Oh. And so I've been eating tons of sunflower <laughs> seeds for the past week or is so. Is your tongue pickled? It is. It hurts. But in addition to that, I haven't been drinking at least 64 wow. ounces of water. So I am super dry and super puffy right now. So today I am focusing on getting my water. (laughs) Good for you. Good for you. Jess, do you want to weigh in on what you're going to do to be healthier today? Well, with these newly found summer allergies that I've been having, um, I'm really trying to focus on all those wonderful immune boosting properties of ginger and I guess pineapple is supposed to help as an antihistamine. So I'm exploring all kinds of foods (laughs) right now to figure out what's going on with these allergies. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going to be tasty. Whether it helps the allergies or not, it's going to taste good. Yeah, absolutely. I hope it helps the pineapple and a pina colada count? (laughs) You know, you can always make it count. (laughs) We're dietitians, girl. We can spin anything to be healthy. (laughs) It's called an oxymoron cocktail. It's, It's, you know... 
It helps in many ways. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. So for me, I'm going to visit the farmer's market. So if we wrap up early enough today and I can make it out to our market, it finishes at two. So my hope is that I can make it out to the market because that was my goal today. So awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us today, guys. We really appreciate all of you listening and we look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you again soon. Have a great day, y'all. Bye. Bye.